Welcome to Space Bras, the science fiction movie podcast for bad bitch feminists. My name is Kate, and with me is the time-traveling, memory-hopping partner in crime of my life, Mary Johnston. What's up, girl? Oh my God, if you ever erase me, be so pissed. <laughs> be so pissed. <laughs> I would not erase you back. I would come to you and I would be like, I'll make you remember everything again. Here are all the artifacts. Yeah. Here are Aww. all the artifacts. <laughs> like, you... Let me remind, I just, it's hard to imagine you doing anything that would ever elicit a memory erase. So it's hard for me to be like, yeah, it would be good. That, and I'm like, but, but like, wh- why? Why would I <laughs> why? do that? Why? <laughs> but why, though? I don't know. I mean, we're going to we're talking about a movie that that investigates exactly why someone might. Why? But you and I are never. Indeed. You and I are never. Yeah, no. We're no we're no Joel and Clementine for show. No, no, no. We, we've got a tighter bond than that. A bond that, that stays and lasts and that weathers, you know, any storm and does not lead us to whimsically deciding that we're just going to erase someone from our memory. No. But what is that movie we're talking about, Mary? We are talking today about Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Bow, 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 bow. So this is uh, Michael Gondry's uh, Tour de Force. Um, this came out 15 years ago. We were 15 years old when this came out. Is that wild? I actually knew that because I remember exactly when I saw it. Um, but speaking of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, uh, it also has Ellen Kuras as a cinematographer who is a legend in the field. Mary, back to you. Sorry. That makes sense. It is a really beautiful film. Um, yes. I also remember seeing this uh, when I was 15 years old. I went to go see this um, with another good friend of mine. Um, good? Am I a good friend of yours, man? <laughs> Damn! <laughs> anyway, continue. <laughs> um, but uh, I remember coming out of it and being like, yes, because I was at that stage when I was 15 where I was like, all romantic movies are stupid. And I was kind of like, I was agreed. A f- I was a feminist, but I was also like dumb and jaded. And I was like, movies for women so are jaded. generally stupid. I have to like things that are like edgier and for boys to be cool. Like that was definitely a thing. You know what I'm talking about? To Yeah, no, no, no. To If I embrace like. I, I was raised to embrace things that dudes liked, and that made me, like, more, ex- like, the dudes that I respected me more, so that was obviously, like, you know, it made me different from other girls, and now I'm like, other girls are great. I want to just be friends with all the girls. Yeah. So, like, that's not a problem for me anymore, but, like, at the time, totally, it was an anecdote to this idea that, like, every rom-com is, like, syrupy, trashy bullshit, and this, it wasn't. It felt was a- more real. It was a it rom-com wasn't. for yeah. cool people. And it, it's gorgeous. Like, and guys, if you're wondering if that movie you loved from 15 years ago stands the test of time where it's like shameful and embarrassing. Well, let me tell you, Eternal Sunshine stands the goddamn test of time. I like think so, too. Champ. I was surprised. Yeah. I was a little bit. So I don't think I bet I haven't seen this movie since I like entered my mid 20s. I'm pretty sure I've, I saw it again when I was like right after I graduated from college. But, like, I have been away yeah, from this movie. College, that was the last time. Yeah, I've been away from this movie for almost 10 years. You know what I mean? So I was yeah. a little nervous coming back to it and being like, I was going to be like, oh, yeah, like, what if it's not as good as I remember it being? I, w- I was nervous. And I watched it and I was like, oh, no, it holds sure, up. Sure, sure. It's great. It's great. I like it yeah. a lot. <laughs> if anything, I think it's better now than I did when I was 15 years old because I've seen more of the world. Um, yeah, we understand it in a way that we didn't then. Then we yeah. liked it for, like, 
for an idea of what it was. Now we like it for a reality of what the world is. And probably Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I understand that. I mean, all right, just think that like your perspective is shifting and like what I thought was really romantic and important and deep when I was 15 <laughs> has changed. And well, yeah, the things that I think I thought were romantic before, like they're not something I feel like is romantic now, but they feel honest and raw. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And maybe and maybe when I'm 45, I'll look back on what I thought was romantic and cool now and be like, God, what a bobo. But um, never. We're brilliant right now. We'll be brilliant like this for I'm forever, the, I'm Mary. the best I've ever been and I'm going to just maintain for the rest of my life. Maintain, maintain perfection. Um so I'm glad that you called out the cinematographer. Super important. Um, yeah. So because when this came out, basically everybody agreed with our 15-year-old selves. Everyone like yep. universally loved, univer- like a critical darling. Um, Charlie yeah. Kaufman um, what is the chief screenwriter for this, along with Gondry and uh, Pierre Bismond. Bismond? Pierre Bismond. Um, and they yes. all got an Academy Award for Best Writing original and Original Screenplay for this film. Um, yep. And it currently holds a 93% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, which I think is is very respectable. But, yeah, especially for, you know, the years and years that have passed. It's great. For an old that's movie just, like know. this? Yeah. It's yeah. In 2004. Sober. Well, and that's, a, yeah, it, it's, you know, it's really funny because rewatching it and, you know, we're about to dive in, but rewatching it. I was surprised by like how not um, how the filming didn't look. Everything wasn't like crystal clear HD, like beautiful, you know, mm-hmm. that it felt like more raw, that felt like, you know, more filmic, more like stage techniques, more um, like, yeah, just not like not lit the way that like cinema is lit now. And that it was really kind of fun to like, revisit that because I didn't in my memory that was not something that stood out at all because I remembered so many other elements but it was really cool it was really cool to see yeah and I think um a lot so a lot of this is done with completely practical effects um like yeah like the scenes where they they force you know it looks like Joel is like a little boy and that uh Clementine is is a big tall lady so it's like kind of from his, his perspective all of that is yeah. like forced perspective shots like he's just yeah. really far away from her um yeah and if you watch it you can kind of tell that but it's in like a very charming way like I've watched this like three times and like like the last couple of weeks just to prepare for this and only on my third watch I'm like oh yeah that table is much bigger than I think it is okay like you know I can like react to it but um but I I think when you see it it just it just it's like movie magic it just feels good and it also because it's not like they had the technology to just shrink him down like they could have done that but he I'm sure but it ends up yeah, but it well, ages it also better. Looks more dreamlike. Yeah, it you know, ages by, by using practical effects, it like it maps onto that like the way our memory um, fuzzes things, the way your your dreams like things just change. You know, like this um, this dream logic world that you can be in. And I know that it's not well, we're you know, it's not really dreams that we're seeing, but they kind of are because their memories like they're fuzzed up through like yeah yeah exactly they're fuzzed up no indeed I, and and it just looks better because right like he could he could have like uh he could have filmed uh jim carrey in front of a green screen and then inserted him into a scene that had uh kate winslet but he didn't and i think it's good because now if we watched it back we would be like oh that's like really crummy special effects it's like early earlier green screen like that right. stuff ages so fast whereas like 
old time stage no, magic. Looks good. <laughs> it looks good. Yeah. yeah. It's just yeah. it's harder to fault. It just it just looks different from movies that you see today, but not because it looks bad. It still looks great. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. All right. I'm gonna give a quick brief synopsis for the folks. Yes, please. The folks who have not seen this film, um, and I highly recommend that you you get yourself get the over to Netflix and uh and watch it. Stream it, yeah, with a with a free trial with your neighbor's uh, subscription with your own, you know, with your parents, someone else's with parents, your teacher, with your neighbor's dog's uh, subscription. You know, people are weird with their pets. So this film centers around a couple, Joel and Clementine, who, after breaking up, voluntarily undergo a medical procedure to have each other ra- erased from their memories. Uh, the narrative largely takes place in Joel's mind. We see it mostly from his perspective. Um, and it's and he's sort of traveling around and revisiting his memories as this memory erasing procedure is happening. Um, and as he's going through, he's reliving his relationship with Clementine and pretty much early on realizes this is a terrible mistake and tries to rectify that with Clementine within his own mind. And that is what the story is about. Excellent. Um, Excellent overview. Thank you. It's actually a pretty simple story. Like, I feel like a lot of things we do on this, I'm like, oh, good Lord. Well, okay, so like an alien lands in this lady's pool. <laughs> yeah. And so then. So there's this universe over here, yeah. and over here is another one, but it was made by this guy's brother, <laughs> and that's not even the story yet. Yeah. There's well, like an okay. alien, and it crawls in your mouth, but guess what? It's not going to stay down there. <laughs> and <laughs> it's like, it's really hard, but this is a tighter story. <laughs> That's the best description of alien I've ever heard. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. So let's kind of let's kind of get into it. Why you know why did we watch this movie? Uh, what are our feminist takes on it? Stuff from a high level. So it's it's really fascinating, and this is something that we'll get into a lot more. Uh, yes, we see Clementine primarily through uh, Joel's memory. But we kind of have to give him the benefit of the doubt that he is a reliable narrator. And part of that is easy because he remembers her not as an angel and not as like a bitch, but as a complex human who both like had criticism and also like wants to have fun with him and hide in his memories, you know, like. um, Yeah. But but by being like this kind of complicated human, by pushing against uh, what other people want her to be, um, she ends up being. A, she's a very intriguing character and it was um, an early portrayal of that kind of alternative woman that's like different from like the Annie Halls of the world, you know, like more raw, like a little bit more broken. Um, but it, it was a beautiful tale uh, that centered a strong woman who wanted a life that looked like what she wanted her life to be, not what someone told her it should be. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think that that dovetails beautifully into I mean, I think first and foremost, I don't think we can we can undersell the fact that it is it is very important that we are covering a movie that is a rom-com drama, kind of all those yeah, things together, totally. because these are yeah. movies that are generally at least not if not created for strongly marketed to women. These are movies for this is like a, this is a chick flick, you know, yeah. um, it's a very cerebral chick flick. But nonetheless, you know, and it's 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 one of the many movies that are proved that chick flicks don't suck that that's just like a dumb idea that dudes have because many people can enjoy this it is marketed towards women but it is a movie that like i've mentioned we're recording this and i've had many friends male who have been like 
oh, that's such a good movie. Yeah. Like, yeah, it really is. I kind of hope that it's that's fascinating. I kind of hope that that's going away and is not just a byproduct of the fact that films are so expensive to make now that rom-coms have kind of like disappeared because if you can't if you can't get like a Marvel audience, why even bother making a movie? You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. I, I kind of hope, like, I hope that, but I hope that that's kind of going away. I, I feel like that maybe I felt that more potently when I was 15, that there were like movies for like women and movies for, for men. And that like the man movies were kind of for everybody. That was just generic, but that's all like patriarchal well, nonsense. Yeah, they weren't for everybody. We were just supposed to buy that they were forever on because yeah. men's perspective was the default. And now like, Movies are actually being made with, like, interesting females that are complex, like movies that were traditionally male movies. Like, uh, this summer, I am sure we're going to talk about Mad Max Fury Road, uh, which is yeah, uh, an excellent example of oh, that. I love that movie. And, yeah, your, your brother uh, already has a reserved a spot as our co-host on that app. But, um, but it's interesting because that's starting to fade away because they're realizing that if you make movies that are actually targeted for everyone, you make more money. Um, what an amazing concept. Uh, women also buy movie tickets. Fascinating. Anyway. I think Hollywood is also just changing a little bit. And so like the kind of sure. scripts that will get attention just changes. But nevertheless, in the past, nevertheless. in 15 years yeah. ago, um, <laughs> that didn't at least 15 years yesterday. Yeah, anyway. that didn't feel quite as much on on, on the radar. And I, I remember feeling impressed that. You know, movies that are generally more emotionally charged are also considered like lady films, you know, Um, and I liked that this one was very respectful about it. It takes emotions and love very seriously and it doesn't fetishize love as a goal for like strictly a woman to achieve or something that only a woman would care about. And no, not at all. And and it and it does that without living in like a, a like a fantasy land where there are no such things as power dynamics. You know, it's not like everybody's exactly the same. Nobody, you know, like blah, 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 blah. like or, there's n- or you'll have a perfect girl and she's never gonna get annoyed at you and she's never gonna yell at you and everything's yeah. gonna be perfect and she's gonna have dinner on the- like that's not the story that this tells and that's not what our um, hero wants from our heroine. Um, yeah. Anyway, and I think it kind of I mean, like this might be this might be a stretch, but or maybe this is me really just like kind of digging into both the lens that we view things for for this podcast, as well as viewing this movie many times and enjoying it each time. Um, But I also feel like there are some subtle, subtle things in here that um, that verge on um, equality and partnership ultimately yeah. as being something that is is good and wanted in a relationship and personhood yeah. i feel like it evaluates and explores a relationship between two people with sort of a reverence and care and ultimately comes down on the side that like no relief um from pain or or emotion is worth divorcing yourself from vulnerable vulnerability and intimacy and yeah, from from the possible connection that you can have. Yeah. Well, and, and I and that it has to be like, built on on equality to some yeah. degree to some degree. Well, and I and I know that we're about to dive into this, but I would like to say it's very interesting watching this 15 years ago versus watching it today. And I guess that means like 15 years ago, we were 15. So that's funny. Um, yeah, that's how math works. Uh, the math on this but, is just real, like tickles me to no end. Yeah. But um, I I don't think I appreciated how much I understood Clementine's point of view and feelings when I was younger. Um, 
like the fights that they get in and stuff, I feel like it was really easy for me to be like, oh, I mean, like, why is she yelling? And now I'm like, dude, that's a rude thing to say to your partner and like a flea market and then be like, we shouldn't talk about it. Like, are you kidding me? Like, that shit sucks. Anyway, so I... I definitely before yeah before we get into like strong analysis I will say at the top of the show I always when I watched this I strongly related with Clementine because I was also dating a low talker and and yeah, a, I was and, not I, you know and a person that didn't really emote and I was I definitely was like oh that's what that's what's going on here like the frustrations of it yeah. um so I, I related to I her. I can't ever hear what you're saying. I did relate to her. <laughs> yeah, oh my like, God. Mu- Stop mumbling. Undunciate. Like, you think that I'm being too loud? I cannot hear you. It is frustrating. Anyway. Yeah, you never tell me what's going on with you emotionally. Um, I did I, yeah. I did like, I, I like that aspect of her a lot. And I, I feel like I felt yeah. that. I feel, I guess I feel her perspective a little bit less now, but there are things about it that I recognize as being true. Like, like the things that's that the, interesting that we shifted. Like yeah, we've we've weird. shifted spots. Yeah, I feel like I feel like it just depends on how how recently you have dated someone who is <laughs> yes. very who is very different from you in many ways, yeah. like a way of emotionally yeah. communicating, and yeah. um and and oh, I don't think that it's healthy what they're doing at all. No, no I just oh, no. I understand it. You know. Yeah. So I think it's just like it's it, I I think it's an evergreen situation. It just depends on when you had it in life. I definitely had it yeah. when I was actively seeing this in a movie theater. Although, yeah. honestly, what how much communication does one really need when you're 15? I don't no, know. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. For sure. Um, but I immediately. But all I know is that after dating a Joel, I was like, I am always going to date someone who will speak to me. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm not going to not be talked to ever again. That's not fun. So let's talk about Clementine and Joel. Yeah. It's interesting. Joel comes across as someone governed by fear. But uh, as you look through the memories uh, past when they're about to break up to when things were actually happening, He's goofy when he lets his guard down. Um, but we only see him through the viewpoint at the end of the relationship, so it's kind of hard to see that other side. Um, that made him feel really aged and incompatible with Clementine. Uh, like, Mary had reminded me right before this movie started, there's a huge age gap between Jim Carrey yeah, and Yeah, it was like 13, 14 years. Yeah, and I didn't notice that when I was younger, but it was hard for me to not see uh, this time, no, partly yeah. that's because of like the soberness he has in the beginning, you know. Well, and she's um, also so young. Oh my god, when you look at her in this movie, like she's like in her early twenties when she's filming this, right? Yeah. Like you're just yeah. like, whoa, she's so clearly so young. So I think it's almost the fact that she's like radiant and peaches and cream complexion, and he's a little bit yeah. haggard. <laughs> so you're like, oh, no, whoa. of course, whoa, yeah. Um, As somebody who's aging, you kind of notice those things a little bit more. And I'm not saying like, yeah. you know. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. go ahead. Um, what do you think about Joel? Well, um, com- kind of comparing the two of them, the f- my favorite thing about this movie, and I think this was really smart, whoever did the casting for it, is that I feel like um, Carrie and Winslet are both playing against their regular type. You know, yeah. so especially then. So so Jim Carrey now is very, you know, he paints and he's sort of a cerebral person who's also like a clown. But like this is 15 years ago. So the things that he have has done recently around this movie were The Truman Show. That was like his his biggest serious piece that he had done around this time, as well as the slapstick 
gross comedy, Me, Myself, and Irene. That's also around this time. So, like, yeah, he's... No, this was when he was really just going back and forth on, like, yeah, he had won... am I still going to be a zany clown guy with crazy voices? That's, yeah. not, a, that's not Jim Carrey voices. <laughs> but, <laughs> I yeah. wish that was. That would be wild. <laughs> yeah. But, like, so you have, like, Truman Show, which is about, like, free will and, like, what it is to be alive. And then you have Me, Myself, and Irene, which has a breastfeeding joke from a grown man. So, like, it's a yeah. weird... Gross. It's Which incredibly gross. It's a weird yeah. combination of things. And so to see him not only, like, do something totally different, but, like, he gives such a low-key, borderline uncharismatic performance in this. It's, like, it's, like, so different from anything I've ever seen him do do especially at this point and i kind of feel like he hasn't really done anything like this since but it's really good i really don't think i don't i don't think so either not on this level no well and it's also really interesting because the way that this movie structured it is it's a non-linear narrative so it starts it starts after the memory procedure but we don't know that Mm -hmm. um it starts like on valentine's day and when we first meet clementine in this opening segment she comes across as kind of manic and insane um yes which is she's like snapping at him and kind of shouting at him but also like kind of wants his attention like um and it's funny like she yells at him and gets so angry when he used he he used the word nice to describe her like i think that you must be nice and later on we see that contextualized um because this predator patrick who we'll get into later has been calling her nice, like, after trying to blend herself into the remaining memories she might have of Joel and, like, like insert himself into her life. And so, yeah, if that was your experience and someone else called you nice, you your hackles would be up, too. But by, like, having it out of order, it seems like this is the first time we've met her. And it's like, who is this woman? And why is she, like, so abrasive? And, you know, it's very... It's interesting the way that we get to see the softness of her later and the more complexities. Um of, of course she is and can be of course and i you know i think that's a an excellent point uh, that I, d- I don't think people who have not seen it many times may not connect that that's why she's reacting that way but that's also yeah. just kind of the way she is like she's like this weird bold outspoken mess of a person like that is who clementine is she's nuanced but like that is yeah. like very important to her core is that she's kind of like a messy a messy manic person and also against what we have seen Kate Winslet do now. I mean, now Kate Winslet can basically do anything. She's sort of like, she's like she's kind a of chameleon. She well, she's like following sort of in a like a Meryl Streep footsteps. You know, you can like see you can see <laughs> her like yeah. moving in that direction. Like she's going to be like kind of like an actress of the great auteurs. You know, mm-hmm. but yeah, um, but like at this time, the biggest thing we've seen her do is be Rose and Titanic. So the thing we know she can do is be like restrained and lovely and posh so to see her see her just kind of be like brash and raw and like um volatile yeah it's very different um and this is very this is very explicit so uh gondry apparently told uh jim carrey to approach this role like he was in a moody drama and to act accordingly and then he told Kate Winslet to act like she was doing a broad comedic performance, but with like a lot of edge. So like kind of darkly comedic. And yeah. I think like the upshot of it is, and the reason he must have done this, is that you kind of just see that these two characters view the world very differently and interact with yeah. the world very differently. 
Um, yeah, no, it's interesting because, yes, they are being told to act like they're in two different movies. So it's very it's very clear that they're interacting with the world differently because they're they're treating the reality very differently. That's yeah. fascinating. I also like that we get to see them at their like best and worst. I kept coming back yeah. when I think about Joel. Like, I love them both and I hate them both at the same time. Like, I'm like, you yeah. are both the most like beguiling and revolting person I've ever seen, which I feel like yeah. it is what it's like to be in a relationship that's hit a hard patch. Like, you really know that about. So it's almost like we're You've seen each other at, at yeah. these terrible points, like almost despicable points that you don't want anyone else, like that you both will like kind of guard those secrets to your grave because you know that that was awful. Like, you know that you yeah. both, like, no one needs to, like, no one needs to say it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. But I did like, I did like that they didn't, so I feel like Clementine, Clementine at her best is a bombastic realist. She's very much like, this is the way things are and this is how way I am. But she's like, but she's like charming and fun and just wild and loud. And the worst, yeah. she gets sort of, she gets, she kind of like crawls inside herself and she becomes mean and she's kind of a mean drunk and yeah. she's full of self-loathing, which she like hurls out at the Ends world. Up, yeah, pushing out, out to other people. Yeah, exactly. And then you have and so then you would think, well, the opposite of that, of course, would be that Joel at his best is just quiet and and sweet. And then at his worst, he's, you know, he just he just cries all the time and is just emotional. And it's not like that. No, but he's he also more, says like, no, yeah, he he's, says kind of terrible things to her. Like, no, you he's know. totally. So at his best, he's like a sincere romantic figure. Like he's very, yeah. like, he's an idealist, whereas she is a realist, which is fun, um, given yeah, their personalities. And then yeah. at his worst, he's like milk toastily, like muttering snide comments under his breath. Like he's mean too. Yeah. He's mean too. Yeah. He's just less confident about it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, he's he like he retreats into like. I am the narrator of my own world and it's my own private joke, which is infuriating when you're dating someone like, yeah, you won't engage with me. You're just creating this like narrative around this in order to protect yourself, but also still saying shitty things to me about how like I'm not ready to care for a child. Um, like I couldn't take care of one. Don't don't tell someone like, fuck no, fuck that. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but I do like I like that we get to see them sort of as as you would know them if you were in a romantic relationship with them. And I also like that yeah. the movie doesn't try to make you force you to believe that they're a perfect fit. I don't think that they are a perfect fit. No, they're not. No, I, I think I think that this movie would. It's funny because. By traveling through each other's memories, by trying to like stay together, it that is normally um, the narrative we would give soulmates. But I would say that this movie would say that there aren't soulmates. There are I, people you choose like, to be Maybe with. there are soulmates, but these two people aren't that. <laughs> like they don't make sense on paper. They don't have like undeniable chemistry with each yeah. other. You know, they have like like their first meeting is is like a weird a weird quiet sit on a stairs while she steals chicken from him. Like it's not. It's not like they were immediately drawn to one another. You know what I mean? Like, it's not. And, yeah. and, and the, although they have good chemistry when they're together, you can tell that it's like work yeah. for them to be together. There's something you can buy that they're together, but you don't ever make the mistake yeah. of thinking they're soulmates. And what holds them together is like less palpable. Like, you don't really you're like, OK, like, yeah, these people like are, are very attracted to one another. But they are ultimately making a choice yeah, to be together. Exactly. Which I mean, yeah. I am a person who believes that relationships genuinely are a choice. Um, sometimes yeah, that choice is super easy, and sometimes it is much more difficult. 
<clears throat> yep. Um, and it doesn't really, and sometimes it can switch back and forth. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's what I responded to when I first saw it was that, like, I was sick of fairy tales about people destined. I wanted to see movies that were romantic, but romantic under the, um, the clause that we're choosing this, not star-crossed, you know? So, um, a movie about a bold woman and a shy man generally calls to mind exactly one thing, which is the cut from the Garden State Cloth, uh, which yeah. also came out this year, by the way, um, story of, <laughs> of, of, of a, depressed, a depressed male figure interacting with a whimsical female figure who's like, who's, who exists. <clears throat> who exists there to save him, who is like his salvation. Yes. Uh, a manic pixie dream girl, which is a term that uh, Nathan Rabin uh, coined um, three years after this movie was made. So he coined that 2017 or 2007. Um, and it's interesting because you know, he said since then that he regrets it because like it is a phrase that um, that has lived far beyond like what it is it has grown and it gets like pushed around um and i think what he means is that he realizes now it's kind of limiting um but you know what death of the author author boohoo yeah you put a <laughs> term out there i'm sorry this is me this is totally unfair to him and he might have a very good point this is me reacting to a guy sending me an article being like you know what people call emotional labor not what emotional labor is actually Oh my God! Listen to this woman who came up with the term in nineteen eighties, talking about how the term is not correctly used. And I'm like, boo hoo, yeah. boo fucking hoo. Yeah, no, for sure. You know what? Like, like the world moves on, and you, you, if you create an idea, people are gonna take it and they're gonna mutate it, and it might not be in ways you like, and that's okay. For sure, that's okay. For sure, I, I you can still I be proud that. of what you stood behind. Yeah, but. Yeah, but I think it is a very helpful term, and I think it it, it has moved us forward. Yeah. Um, so my question to you is, is Clementine Clementine a manic pixie dream girl? So I've kind of already alluded to this, but it's funny. She's more gruff, raw, kind of crazy in the beginning than, like, our man- typical manic pixie dream girl. Usually they're pretty, like, benign, pretty meek, pretty uh, yeah. palatable. Natalie Portman in Garden State. Um, Kirsten Dunst, funnily enough, because she's also in this movie, in Elizabethtown, my very least favorite movie that's ever been made. Uh, <laughs> but um, honestly, the meat of like of of what I think uh, puts her both in this category and then also rejects it simultaneously comes at the end of the movie, which is the beginning of their first relationship. There's a scene in the bookstore, and she basically calls people out for. Um, this manic pixie dream girl fetishization. But says, uh, Joel, I'm not a concept. I want you to keep that in your head. Too many too many guys think I'm a concept or I'll complete them or I'll make them alive. But I'm just a fucked up girl looking for my own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. Um, yeah. yeah. So I think that that's like that's a pretty bold statement. I, I agree. I don't think that she's a manic pixie dream girl. And I feel like also additionally... I think that this movie is built on the grounds that Joel does sort of fetishize her in this way initially. He says that he still thought she was going to save him. Of course, him. yeah. He, he embraces her and admits it. Yeah. And she kind of like looks at him with pity and is like, oh, yeah, I know. But that didn't work out, did it? <laughs> and, 
Yeah. And then he says, then he says, if we just gave it one more go, maybe we'd get it right this time. So I think it's not like an outright indictment of it, but I think it is like saying like you can't treat people like this. Yeah. Like, no. He had this idea of her, and that and is why the like relationship failed. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's interesting because by the end of the movie, like this lie is highlighted when they both hear these. Uh, they both hear these tapes that they recorded when they decided to erase other person from their mind. So it's each other saying the worst possible things you could say about someone that you were in a relationship with and deciding that even if they're both totally flawed, even if they can say these awful things about each other, that it's worth giving a go. It, it totally belies that, that illusion because clearly she's not going to save you. You've said these awful things about her. So this time maybe they have more of a chance, you know? Yeah, well, I don't know if the movie would like deign to tell you whether or not these two people will make oh, it. Oh no, like, no, I not at all. Success... I am positing though by by the fact that he no, he can't possibly think she's a savior this time around. No, that like it's a different relationship at the very least. They they'll be oh, repeating no, it has a lot to, of yes. the same patterns, but it will be still different. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um. I think also a way that she's not a Manic Pixie Dream Girl is that she actually has real stakes. Generally, a Manic Pixie Dream Girl has like a weird illness or something that's kind of like mushy yeah. where you're like, oh, it's like a Victorian child, like yes. a Dickinsonian little Nell. A little where you're bit like, embolitish, how can you, you know? Yeah. How can you have such a best cheery outlook when you're, you know, yeah. when you have to carry around a helmet because you have the seizures? Yeah. Like, you know, it's just yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but I like that Clementine has like real stakes, but like like very normal stakes. Like the stakes, it's not like she's dying or yeah. she's sick or like she has like an incredibly troubled childhood. Like everything is pretty normal about her or like average, you know? Yeah. But she just has problems. Like she drinks too much. She yep. has like a wicked mean streak. Yep. And she can like l- like lash out at Joel and it's equal parts very like laser accurate critiques like when she's like I can never hear you yeah and and it's also her projecting nonsense and she can do it like in in the same breath so like the the fight they have in that uh, flea market about the baby yeah when she completely reacts to him normally being like why would you say that I want to talk about this now I think that's totally reasonable yeah and then she's like you're the one that'll never commit yeah no, no, commit. No, I'm no. Like, it, it turns I'm into like, something I'm pretty sure really toxic yeah well and well I'm like I'm pretty sure that's you Clementine yeah. actually so I think she like it's like sim- she'll flip back and forth between those things um, which is not charming. No, and that's no. also very human. Very, we all very, do that. Yes. Well, and, and um, I, I love the way they talk about like how she's projecting herself loathing outward because uh, I'm, it's not like anyone else would ever do that. Um, we're all perfect <laughs> humans. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Of course. Mm-hmm. But I like I like that she is like outward, like like explicitly self-serving. She is not a cheerful helper for Joel. No. She is a she is a human being who is attempting to make herself happy. Yep. That's good. Yeah. That's solid. That's a solid way to come at it. Yeah, this. you should not expect your partner to make you happy. You should be trying to make yourself happy. That's good. That's that's healthy, actually. Um Yeah. Let's get into Joel as a reliable narrator. So we see mostly Clementine through his eyes. Um, how does that change how we feel about her? Well, so I kind of do want to put a plug in here for something we're going to do later. Um, sure. We we wanted to record Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind before we take on the Netflix uh, limited series Maniac. And part of that was because our under, like 
when we when we dive into Maniac, we won't be seeing the characters just through one person's lens. We'll get to see them in their own mind and in their own right. And so I didn't want to like muddle this conversation because even though Clementine is we don't we don't spend very much time with actual Clementine. Fairly little, uh, all, respectively. We spend a lot of time with the Clementine that exists in Joel's memories. But because, and I've mentioned this before, because it's so nuanced, I think that we, you have to accept that this is who she is. Like, it's not just a memory that you're seeing. Um, He's having a conversation with those memories. It's not like a static playback. It ends up being like an actual conversation between two people about these different scenarios, even though it's all happening inside of his head. I, I agree with that. I don't really think... That memory Clementine Clementine is very different from real Clementine. Yeah. Because she acts autonomously. Memory Clementine acts autonomously. Like yeah, she solves still problems. Talk- yeah. She's talking about and her dress. She uh she gets distracted by things she wants to get distracted by. Like she- uh, Yeah. And she like she like makes suggestions and like and she seems to be her own thing and, and like gets frustrated with him and reacts beyond the situation. Yeah, there's just some so, amazing and in ways- moment when she he's talking about how like there's this you know they're erasing you from my memory right now and she's like well why don't you just try and wake yourself up he's like what am i supposed to do like what and she's like i don't know try and open your eyes and he's like it's not working she's like classic joel you'd rather me be wrong then it's just this magical moment because then he actually is able to open up his eyes in real life but um but just this idea that like if this was your idealized memory, they would not be insulting you and criticizing you, even if it's in a funny way, because I'm sure it's not that funny to you. It's only funny to the viewer who's also like, yeah, bro, try it. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> well, I did like that. He, like, he's like, it did work. And she's like, <laughs> yeah. I told you. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I think that she I think we can accept that she she is her own person in this. And actually, the fact that he is erasing her. I think that was a smart choice on their part. If you didn't think that memory Clementine was a real person, it wouldn't be sad to watch her get erased. And right. it is. It is. It's it's very sad. Like, because she wants to still exist. Like, and and the way that they do this, and we uh we talked a lot about the a little bit about the practical effects before, but they have him try and hide her memory. She didn't exist in before. And so we see them insert in these other moments, including one moment where like it's clearly just uh, these little kids with, like, them talking over it. And then, like, for a moment, we see, like, the kids transform into the adult actors and then transform back into kids. But it's so charming. It's so well done. And this idea of, like, we would have been friends when we were kids. Like, this, like, this way of, like, how they, how he knows her well enough and she, like, actually exists in those moments that she's able to um, interact in an original and unique way in these memories. Uh it actually totally confuses the neuroscientist because he doesn't understand like why they're able to keep on jumping off the map. And I think that, that is about both she's a real person and also Joel Joel really knew this person. He's not just trying to get rid of someone who like he had some sort of fleeting awareness of. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I think that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about um, what uh, Lacuna does so they so Joel and Clementine both independently visit um the Lacuna I guess clinic huh? um mm-hmm. to get their memory to get each other erased from their memories um 
And it, it's just like, it's like a cool, it's very visual. We sort of see Joel both experiencing his memories again, but also sort of being an outsider. Like his memories sometimes react to him as if he is not like making snide commentary. Yeah. Like the scene where he's having um, Chinese food with uh, Clementine. And it's like a, it's like a, it's a very... It's a very tense dinner. Yes. Right? Like, they're clearly, like, mad at each other and just, like, not enjoying each other's company. And she's telling him, like, he needs to keep his hair off the soap. Yeah, just wash and your hair off the soap. It's, it's fucking disgusting or something. <laughs> yeah, she's like, it's she's like it's revolting, truly. Like, right? And he's, yeah. like, and he's, like, do like miming the words along with her because you know that that's something that, like, he plays back in his mind as he's going to sleep. Yeah. And, like, moments of sadness and, like, fury. Yeah. Um, no, I, you're right. That's, I, that's really... I've never really thought about that. That is, he's repeating it because he know, he's been a part of this already before. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes the memory doesn't care and just carries on without him. And sometimes the memory does care. Like he can engage with Clementine about halfway through and be like, "Hey, rem- I know that this is a memory of us walking around in the woods, but we got to run around now." <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So, so it's kind of interesting, and it doesn't it doesn't hold. It's like science fiction with a lowercase s. It's yes. not too worried about yeah, like, the science of all of this. Well, I'm, I think that's that's partly... Uh, Gondry does such an amazing job with this kind of space and this kind of material. But by being like in the brain, by being in dreams, you kind of get to like let things slide, let things be a little bit slippery compared to like hard sci-fi where there's like a hard set of rules. Um, the, the sci-fi of this is the fact that there's this procedure really more so than like... Um, what we're how we're seeing it happen you know what i mean yeah totally and actually it reminded me a lot of so i liked that also they make it seem like the procedure is painful yeah like when you see when you see jim carrey when you see joel laying in the bed and like he'll have like tears in his eyes or the scene where um they he they erase him getting bathed in the in the sink by his mother and he like is sputtering and coughing as if he's drowning because he's getting like sucked down the drain in yeah. his in his memory um so like clearly people experience trauma and pain during this procedure the woman that you briefly see getting erased where like the guy's like everything's gonna be fine joel look this is one of our best guys that's just a woman like sobbing yeah it's all sobbing it's so scary i was like oh god don't show him that yeah i know there's so many nightmarish moments and uh especially when he's in that when he's at the at the hospital because it fades into like he's actually in the procedure versus like he's talking about the procedure and he ends up talking to the doctor and he's like what's happening it's like oh yes this would be what it would look like yes we must be in it right now and it's like so what he sees starts to like have like a nightmarish quality to it um faces blur out it's very it's fascinating it's so well filmed right and actually this has basic well I thought about this. This is something that I happen to know because I listened to a different podcast um, where uh, talking about different types of like it was just kind of conversational, but different types of anesthesia that has been that has been um, that have been developed. So um, Stephen Tobowski, who if you, you know who this person is, uh, he's Ned Ryerson in Groundhog Day. <laughs> um Apparently, sorry, when so in sorry. when Needle Ned knows the head, come on, buddy, Case Western High. Come on, right, I'm done. come on, come on. <laughs> yeah, that guy. He so I love him. He's like funny, and he's in everything, and yeah. he's just like kind of he's a wonderful. If you can get a, him 
uh, interviewed on a podcast. You should listen to it because he's incredibly, incredibly charismatic and wonderful. Sure. Um, but he talked about he's also in uh, the movie Memento. And the way he got into Memento was when he auditioned, he was like, before you before you um, say any before I say anything, before I get into my audition, I just want you to know that I've actually had amnesia before. And they were like, tell me more. And what he had done was he had like um like he had like a pinched nerve or something something not dangerous but something that you yeah. definitely have to go under to to have like repaired right yeah and they gave him this experimental type of anesthesia where you are awake for the whole thing it's just that when you come out of it you won't remember it anymore yeah I've I've definitely <laughs> heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what this reminded me of, too. It's like, oh, these people are like awake and aware. Like Joel's aware of what's he happening. Like the, the kind of later. Yeah. No, the brutal totally mechanics right. of it. Yeah. It, but like the trauma that that impar- impacts, like, right? Like Stephen Fosby must have gone through terrible trauma. He felt all the pain, right? He just doesn't remember it. So is it really okay? Yeah. Question mark? I would say that this film says no. <laughs> like, no, no it's for not sure. Okay. For sure. Well, and. And and that comes like more to fruition uh, through the character of Mary, who I, like we're about to get to. Yeah, get um, into. I love her. Yeah, by having this B plot, like the movie takes a hard stance that like this isn't okay. Um, and part of that yeah. is because you need your memories in order to grow. Like you need to remember the mistakes you've made in order to respond and adapt. And yeah, they're painful, but you learn. And by just erasing them, you can doom people to just repeat terrible patterns over and over again and never learn a thing in which case you're not really even living life because you're not accumulating anything you're just stuck in a loop anyway and aging a loop that you're aging it it's the worst possible thing (laughs) (laughs) terrible (laughs) um i do think that there are smart sort of like uh so continuing sort of talking about um the, the mechanics of it. I feel like there are smart sort of subtler choices that are made that make it easier for you, the viewer, to connect what where you are in your timeline. Yes. Um, the two the two that come to mind are, of course, Clementine's hair color. You always know where you yes. are because does Clementine have green, red, orange, or blue hair? Yeah. It's very easy. You can figure that out. Yeah. And... It's kind of like, and it's it's not like it's not like explicitly called out, but you at least know. Well, you start I to be able smart. to put it together. That in like yeah. the car, like has the car been wrecked already? Has it yes. not? You know, like you're right. There are these there are these different hallmarks and touch points that, like, as you start to put it together, it all really works. I think Patrick's another in present one of those touch points in present day is it valentine's day or isn't it yet yes <laughs> this is another good one yes um is it about to be valentine's day yep or yeah. is valentine's day not even a thing we're talking about anyway yeah i also like that the it didn't pretend like the procedure was totally flawless like they do reckon like clementine and joel do kind of remember each other yeah, I like, mean, Joel they're, knows like, that he should know who she is by each other. Like they don't yeah. understand like why they're so like drawn to each other, but it's like it's like seeing someone in a dream and like you just kind of like want to it's why she keeps coming back to him even though like they have like some bad like initial re- interactions. There's something there, you know? Like, yeah, I think that makes Mar- sense cuz brains are hard like brains are complicated. Yeah. yeah. And Mary, the uh, Lacuna receptionist, is still drawn to Howard, the <sighs> inventor of Lacuna, who she had a past affair Fucking with. Like Howard. What a monster. <sighs> yep. 
Anyway. But, like, so it's sort of like they, like, do the cleanup work. They remove the evidence, but there is something, like, I think that this uh, movie argues that there's something intangible about your experiences yeah. which can't be cut out. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's, that, that's you know, that's a, that's a huge mechanic of this movie. And I think it also makes the scientific, the sci-fi element of it feel more real. Like, you would believe that there would be... That this wouldn't be flawless entirely. Yeah, of course. In fact, you hope that it's not going to be flawless because it's so sad to watch as it happens. Yeah, no, you're 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 by being in Jules' memory and by seeing Clementine as like a person having them both not want this to happen, and like I love the moment when he's telling her like, "Well, you did this first. and she's like, "I know that, um, but this is just who I am. Like, I I do things sometimes. It doesn't mean that like I wanted to, you know. Like, it just happened basically. Like, I'm I'm acknowledging that." Yes, this sucks, and yes, I probably did it first, but we should still try and fix it. Um, by seeing that, like, yeah. you are rooting for them. Like, you're hoping that they can, like, make it through this, and she won't be erased. Um, yeah, and I think I, I thought a lot about why I didn't really consider Clementine's erasal of him as, as horrible. I mean, of course, you don't see it, so that's helpful. Yeah. Um, but I also feel like they have this conversation really early on in the film when they've met each other again, but they don't know it. And he's talking about, he was like, I'm not that interesting of a person. Like, you just look at my journal and it's blank. And we know it's blank because he ripped out all the pages cause because those were all things about her. her. Yeah. Yeah. But he, right, is like kind of having this existential moment where he's like, who am I? Like, what what am I? Am yeah. I just like, am I just dead inside? And then she responds by saying like, oh, does that make you sad? I'm always worried that I'm not living life to the fullest. I get anxiety about that. So I kind of feel like her reason for erasing him is she was like, I need to stop being sad. I need to get on with my life. This is a patch. And the reason he erased her from his life was partially because she did it. So it's like it's a little bit revenge, like vengeful. Yeah, it's definitely but- a little bit vengeful, but also like it's got to suck being the only person remembering your relationship. Like, I, you know, yeah. I think it would be easier but- to take that out if the other person had. But I think, like, the, the constant reoccurrence of all the little artifacts that he turns over to Lacuna and then um, Patrick steals yes. are, like, are like little symbols that, like, really what he wants to do is he wants to reject any any way that she impacted him as a person. And that's a lot harder of a pill to swallow yeah. versus, like, I would like to stop feeling sad. He's like, I would like to stop feeling the way I, I do because I've had Clementine in my yeah, life. Yeah, I would like to genuinely, for that to have never, I'd like to erase that whole part of my life. Um, it's different yeah. from, I need to not remember how sad I am about this relationship. Uh, I, I agree. I agree. Uh, you know, we've, we've talked around Patrick a little bit, and we've talked around Mary Let's stuff. get to him. Yeah, yeah let's give a, a little bit of a background. So Mary's receptionist at Lacuna, uh, the two dudes who run the procedure are... What is Mark Ruffalo's character's name? That baby, that baby Mark Ruffalo. I cannot believe what a baby Mark Ruffalo Stan. was 15 years ago. He's such Wild. a he's such a babe. Wild. He's such But he's also like, like, I've never so felt so young, like in a way that like I've never fucking I know. It's creepy. I've never really felt that Mark Ruffalo is a babe. But, but you I see this and you're like, yeah, I, I <laughs> like, get it. Oh, yeah, he was a babe. I, 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 get, it, I get it. I'm into it. Well, and you have like Elijah Wood is like this squirrely, terrible Patrick. And so Patrick Oof. and Stan are supposed to be running this procedure. Mary is Stan's girlfriend who's clearly in love with Howard. But like, you know, he he's not like 100% sure she is. And also she's his girlfriend. 
But um, he's ignoring. He's ignoring yeah. it. He's choosing, he's choosing to, ignore to ignore it. ignore it because she's his girlfriend and he really likes her. Um, and Patrick is yeah. a goddamn creep who ta- like is just there to like assist during the procedures when they go into these people's houses. And he says he fell in love with Clementine while they were changing her brain. He's like, dude, you're sick. Like she was unconscious. And he's like, I don't know. Like she was just so beautiful. And like he stole all of Jules' stuff that he turned over and is trying to recreate that love so he can like insert himself into her life. Simultaneously, we find out Mary, like she's in love with Howard, the the doctor at Lacuna who created this procedure, ends up like kissing him. His wife like shows up and she's like running down and it's like, I'm so sorry, I'm just a stupid girl with a stupid crush. And she's like, Howard, don't be a monster. Tell her. You already ha- you can have him. You've had him before. And she realizes that like this is not the first time that she had an affair with this guy. And 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 so I'm just that brings us up to you listen to this tape, and I swear to God, it sounds like he's coercing her into taking this procedure. She even says she doesn't want to do it. I don't know what your take is, but like, I think this guy's a monster. I think at the very least, you can understand, like, from the tape, we can glean, because she's crying and he's very calm. You can at least glean that maybe in a moment of calmness, she was like, yeah, this is the best thing to do. But then at the time, she's changing her mind and he's like, you promised. You said. agreed it would be for the best that you get your brain race, not mine. Like, fuck you, guy. Yeah, I, I, I feel like these stories, so even though I kind of at the top where I was talking about um, Clement, how Clementine had this procedure done first, but we don't see it ever from her perspective. Nope. And we, what we, we do see is two stories about two men. One one is the A plot, which is Joel. One is the B plot, which is Howard, a race who are, who are choosing to erase a, wo- a woman from their lives yep. one way or the other. Yep. Howard doesn't feel like he needs to erase the memories of it to erase her from her life because there's a power differential there. Absolutely. It's all about the power he holds. Yes. Yeah. That's and I think but I think it's also for Joel a little bit too. Like he he's kind of gets off on the power of being able to erase No even says that to her when he's like, well you did it first. And he's like just like this like rage about it and you know he ends up regretting it and wanting to fix it because it was stupid and it was like a knee-jerk reaction because he was angry, but, like, yeah, his came out of anger. And uh, Howard um, is a monster who holds all the memories, all the power, and, like, this woman throws herself at him again, and he just kind of lets it... Like, he was going to let it slide into again? Like, he's a jerk. Yeah. I I just feel like we have we have a a theme here where like this procedure is, is no you're right telegraphed to us that this is something this is something that men do to women to kind of get rid of them yeah <laughs> like to, to to lessen it um, I also feel like there is a, a consistent vibe of violation throughout this and yes. like taking people when they are vulnerable and and violating them so. The scene of the scene when Stan and Patrick are at Joel's uh, apartment and Mary comes over and they all like raid Joel's refrigerator and drink his booze. Yep. And then like Stan and Mary get high and strip down and dance on top of him yep. and like are kind of like falling on top of him while like, you know, that he's undergoing something really like emotionally painful, yep. potentially physically painful. Yep. It's so sad and scary. Um 
to see to see another person be so vulnerable and to see people not care yeah, at all not about that. Not respected at all. Yeah. No, Mary's not the most um, sympathetic human in the entire world in part because no, of that. No, well, but you know, but but like that's just and you know, you know that that's like a, a I mean, probably not to that extent, but you know that's like a real thing. Like people people in operating rooms where people die listen to funny music and stuff. Yeah, like no. they have to. They're just people. Yeah. But I think that we're shown it and we're asked to see like, oh, he's going through something really vulnerable here. That's not okay that they're doing that. No, it's like a, they should have more compassion. It's a definite violation. And later on, like there's a callback to the liquor because, you know, <laughs> he brings Clementine back. They've just listened to these tapes. Like they're in a weird spot. He asked her if she wants anything. And she's like, do you have anything heavier? And he's like, I thought I had more scotch. And like gives her the tiny bit that's left in his full bottle from before by the way they drink a full bottle of scotch guys i'm you know i'm not, I'm not saying i'm not impressed i'm just you know whatever including and then at least two rolling rocks patrick produces from a bag along with one of those terrible like butterfly armed wine openers yeah. with a bottle opener on top i don't know why that tickled me so much that that is his bottle opener but it did no, that's, it's, um it's funny um it's funny but and then of course we also another violating thing we have Patrick is, of course, violating uh, both Joel's memories and Clementine's yeah. memories Stealing and Joel's Clementine's. Artifacts, but like, in lying, yeah. like lying and manipulating Clementine in such a gross way. Like and ugh. stealing her underpants. Yes. We hear about her underpants a lot yes. in the movie. It keeps coming back. Like at least three different characters discuss it and everybody knows it's wrong. Like, yeah, I know. And, and it's it's funny when when Joel's first hearing that, like in his mind, he's going through memory where like they're eating Chinese food, and, like, and he's walking around, and it's it's this cool shot because we see it's as though like the TV's transparent and or like it has a camera on it, it's recording him and live streaming it. Um, so it's this interesting shot. But anyway, he's like, "Can you hear that? Someone t- stole your underwear!" Like, and you know, Stan yeah. thing that's wrong, and he's basically like. We need to get out of here. Like, you know, what is happening? But yeah, it's it's just it's disgusting. What a creep. And it didn't really occur to me what that meant. I was like, well, maybe there was underwear in the bag or blah, blah, blah. But no, it's when they were at her house while she was her drawer while she uh, was unconscious and they were like defiling her brain. I know she chose to. But like if we're talking about like violation and stuff, that's, you know, (laughs) that's what it is. Yeah, they were they were over at her house drinking her booze. Yep. Yep, um, yep, yep. Well, it's funny. So by making uh, Howard and Patrick such gross assholes, um, it could run the risk of making like Joel and Stan into white knights. But um, but I'm glad that they don't really do that. Like, you know, you, you don't think that like Stan and Joel are perfect men. Like that's never even on the table. It's just that like here are some worse men. You know what I mean? Yeah, I did. I did like that as well. I feel like they were not let off the let off the hook no. necessarily. It was more just like it, I feel like it's commentary about commodifying female companionship. Ultimately, like that's absolutely what Howard has done. Like to make to commodify yeah. something is to be able to have it, but also be able to reject it when it's no longer convenient for you. Yep. Like you can throw it away. And I think that that's what he's doing. And I think to a lesser extent, I think by juxtaposing him with Joel, you can be like, well, Howard is definitely slimier, but Joel is operating on this on a similar on a similar he's wavelength where scale. he's like, yeah. yeah, he's like, I can throw out Clementine anytime I want. And now I'm going to. Yeah. Um, 
which I think is 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 very interesting from a feminist perspective, especially since they, the film has chosen to tell us from two men doing this to two women. Yeah. Like, right. You could have easily flipped the genders and tell the story. So this seems purposeful. It definitely me. feels intentioned. I think it is meant to mirror existing power dynamics that exist in society. Um because there is a power differential in these relationships already. And so this is another way to show that kind of commentary by taking it to, um, by using that wonderful science fiction plot where we take things beyond what is the conclusion in reality to what it would look like with, with these other additional assets of technology. Yeah. Um, I did, uh, let's see. And I think that um, Patrick is like the ultimate extension of commodifying a relationship, using 100%. science to commodify. Yes. And it's also cool that it's not like he doesn't specifically use the like procedure, right? Like he doesn't like spy on her memories and know about them. He just steals the like the like the runoff. Like he steals her bag of stuff and he steals Joel's bag of stuff. And that's how he puts it together. It's like it's a lot more weaselly. Yeah. And it's. And it's, it, I think it indicates sort of like what is, so technology might be able to smooth some, some things out for you, but there are always, there are always little, like there's always trash, there's right? creeps, yeah. Well, there's always like, there's always like byproduct and people are going to use your byproduct in ways you don't want it to happen. Like, you know, you know, okay, so Gmail will give you a free email address. That's technology. That's progress. Hooray. Right. But it'll also take all of your information and use it to sell you goods and services. Yeah. So it's sort of like it, it, it reminded me of the very real reality where we trade we trade things like we trade things for trinkets. We trade yeah. personhood for trinkets yeah. and we don't even really think about it. Like eventually, maybe not my children, but maybe my children's children will be like, I cannot believe that you gave people your phone number for an email address. Yep. Are you out of your mind? Yep. You know, they'll also I, be like I a phone so. number. <laughs> Insane. But I, I think that he is he's like the ultimate sign of this commodification. And it's it's even better that it's like just like kind of like he's just like a trash sifter really at this point. Yeah. Um, but man, that, that and, scene where like he's trying to recreate this ugh. moment that they have like on the tr- on the frozen Charles. He's trying to say to her like what Joel said. And and the thing is, like. You can't recreate. I think that that's a really cool scene because you can't recreate these perfect moments. I do think in some way, like she almost remembers it, and so it triggers in a wrong way. But also, like, read the room, dude. Like, this isn't actually the moment. Like, she's really stressed out. She's like crying. You take her somewhere, and you're like, ah, I just always, you know, I've never felt like this. Like, completely happy. Like, this is just such an amazing feeling. She's like. Nope, that's like, like this doesn't work. This is not. Yeah. I'm miserable, and you're telling me how happy you feel. It's not like you can't just recreate these. Um, yeah. Right. Well, and she's reacting because what he's doing is shallow and performative, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. he has he has he has bought their relationship, mm-hmm. right? Via via this this procedure, yeah. Um, via the runoff of this procedure, and. He is now trying to use it to ex- use his knowledge to expedite intimacy with Clementine by by borrowing somebody else's vulnerability. Like that's like such a vulnerable moment we see Joel in. Yeah. And of course it reads wrong because he's not actually being vulnerable. It's not his words. It's not his thoughts. And she knows that. Yeah. And it weirds her out. Yeah. <laughs> because she also probably does kind of remember this happening. I I feel like yeah, maybe not consciously, she keeps... but like yeah. 
I mean, maybe maybe the Charles is like her her date spot. She does she does take like two different men there three different times. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so maybe this is like her move. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, but I, I kind of believe that it's like her spot with Joel. So she show when she suggests to Patrick that they go there, I think that she's reaching out and grasping out and being like, I know that there's something missing here. I need to fill it with something. So yeah. that's like part of it. She has like some inkling that the Charles is important. So she's like, let's go there. Yeah. Let's see it. You know? Yeah, no, I definitely feel like um, that's more because it's interesting that like she immediately then takes Joel there. But it also is just so much like it's so much more satisfying he's so much more honest like they have a different connection they don't have the exact same conversation as before but like you know it's very it's it's what she wanted it to be whereas with yeah with patrick there's no vulnerability there's performativity you know Mm -hmm. doesn't doesn't work guys (laughs) sorry yeah no it doesn't i think also there's the um I, th- I think that the space, I think basically the upshot of this film, if I was going to condense it down to something, is that like vulnerability is not is not worth is not worth giving up at any cost. Yeah, pretty much that like vulnerability is the path to um, to evening power differentials between people and ultimately allowing them to choose to be together in a partnership. Yeah. And, 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 it, and it's simple and it, it might even be a little bit trite, but I think the way that it's presented is very special. And one of my favorite, and I think that they don't like clobber you with it. Like, it's not like this is the message at the end. Yeah. But I do think that there's also something where it's it's not just about because we're in Joel's mind and it's really easy to kind of forget that, even though it is very dreamy and beautiful. And, and you know that that's what's happening. Yeah. But like it becomes very easy to think that it's like, oh, these two, just two people kind of going through something. Yeah. Um, but I think we also realize that there's a lot of vulnerability that Joel is hiding even from himself. Um, or at least that's how I read that end scene, that last scene when they're in the memories, where he's saying that he had wished he had stayed in the house and he admits to her that I, he was afraid. Yeah, I love And that's love why he that left. Um, it's, it's the memory of like the first yeah. time they actually met. And... And he, you know, he leaves because, she, like, he's scared, and and it was like scared of the way she said, "Just go," and and it felt like a rejection, even though, like, for her, this guy, like, she's she's making herself vulnerable. She's doing something like kind of crazy, but you know, just trying to like create a space for them to be in, and and he's not actually wanting to like put both feet in. And she senses that, like, you know, and that's why he walks away. But there's this beautiful and she's like, let's have a goodbye this time. And and so they like they rewrite their past as the memories, you know, destroyed. It's just it's really beautiful. Yeah. And the- but I think it's also him admitting that that's why he didn't stay to himself. Yeah. Like, I, I, even though it is to her. No, it's like it's he's like, to him. I was. Yeah. I, I, and I and I like that. I think it's sort of. We see we see that perhaps perhaps we we especially for a character like Joel, he is so uh, like into protection yeah. and creating little protective layers. That's why he mutters things. He mutters mean things so that just in case you didn't hear it, he won't have to deal with your emotional fallout. But he still has to mutter the little protective things so that if you do hear it, he can be like, oh, yeah, you you, you are wrong and I am right. right. That kind of thing. Yeah, I think. I would just like to say that I think when you can dispose of trauma and humiliation in those moments, that choosing not to 
uh, become is is even more powerful. Um, and like at the end, like you know, he doesn't remember that, but that is what he wishes he could do. He wishes he could not choose to let go of his humiliations, um, his failures. Like he wishes he could keep them all. Yeah, of course. I mean, and 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 I think no matter what the movie is telling us that they'll come back for you. So these people both erase their memories enti- like of each other entirely. He does not have to remember terse, like tense dinners he had at a Chinese restaurant with Clementine. He doesn't have to remember the mean things he said to her when they were having their big last fight. He doesn't have to remember her f- hurling a homophobic slur at him oh as she marches God. down the street. Tough look. Um, Yikes. Uh, I think I immediately yikes. have repressed that again. Like I watched, I was like, ugh. <laughs> I forgot about said it now. Like, yeah, that's right. That happened. <laughs> there are two moments where I'm like, oh yeah, this was 2004. Uh, no. It's that one. Yeah. It's that one. And it's when she's like running into the house ahead of him and they're mem- in their memory. When she first meets him and she asks him if he likes men or women and he goes, women, women, of course, women. And yeah. she's like, oh, just making sure I'm not barking up the wrong tree. Like, it's like kind of easy breezy in that moment. But you're like, I don't know, Joel, that seems like a little bit crappy. Yeah, yeah Joel, come on. I think it's t- like, I, you're right. 2004. I think now it's much easier to be like, I mean, I prefer, I, I prefer women. You know, like that's that's my cup of tea. You know, like it's not it's less of like a I'm so scared of homosexuality. I hope it's that way anyway. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, um, not a good not, look on Joel. Look. No, no. Oh, um, cool. oh, oh Joel. <laughs> but Joel can choose can choose not to remember those things in a in an instant. But like. They're still out there in the world. I feel like so Mary is kind yeah. of this avenging angel figure where she after she finds out about what Howard has done to her, she collects all the files and delivers them back to everybody with a note being like, you had this procedure done. Here's all your stuff. Not having your memories is not worth it. Yeah. And, and people can choose to throw it away. You know, she's not making you sure. listen to it. Um, no. But yeah. If you chose to throw it away, I'd be like, you have a a disgusting lack of curiosity. Well, I, but okay. I think that the people who throw it away are the people who've like scheduled like four appointments in a month who must have like a sign that's like, I go to Lacuna. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, or they're people who are like, oh, this relationship is really bad. It's really good for me to forget yeah. it. Yep. Um, but yeah, these people don't need to forget their relationship. No. But I think that ultimately when we watch that, all the gut-wrenching scenes where you watch Clementine and Joel listening to each other's tapes... Yeah. About them and just saying such mean things about each other. Um, I think it's sort of like, you know, if you put these things out there in the world, they're going to come back to you. Yeah. You can't you can't you can't fully just mend it all up. It's part of your vulnerability is being like, I made fun of you for saying library once. Yeah. Even though that is incredibly mean. Yeah. For me to do. And imply that it ties directly into your basic intelligence. Yeah, it's was, it was, it's pretty classless thing, you know. But it, it it's there and it happened, you know. Yeah, you got it. You got to own it. Mm-hmm. You got to own it. Yeah, um, that, that is a tough look for Joel. Like, come on, it's a tough look. But she says equally mean things about oh, him. Like, she's basically like, "I'm erasing him because he's boring." Is that good enough of a reason? That's so horrible. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's it's pretty bad. I do like the moments, though, when they're listening to the tape in front of each other and they disagree with it without knowing if it's true or not. That's yeah, like, like I, I would never like, think that I would I would never say that, even though like I would never of them saying it simultaneously. Yeah. 
I don't apply my personalized yeah. paste. Yeah, that that's a really mean thing. I'd, I'd never I'd never say that. Well, good. It's not me. It's like, yeah, I, I can't believe that that would be something I obviously said on this recording of my voice. But <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think it just shows that, like, I think that there is this idea that when you break up with someone, finally you see them as they really are. And I think I think like a lot of people, once they get past a point of healing, do reach that point where they can like objectively look back on the relationship and they were like, there was good and there was bad, and now it is over and I'm moving on. But in that immediate you know? moment afterwards, no, you're not seeing anything. They're not objective. You're you're saying no. you're saying things that make yourself feel better, which generally are not kind about the other person. You're and not even like out loud in your own narrative. You are trying to protect yourself and therefore like, you know, sour grapes. She, you know, she's awful anyway. So whatever. Yeah. So do you like their happy ending is what I will say. So they get a happy ending. The lacuna does not. The lacuna procedure does not fully work perfectly. They're able to meet in Montauk as Dree, as memory Clementine suggested. Yeah. So they and run into each other whisper. again. Meet me in Montauk. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. Meet me in Montauk. Um, and then Mary, like, gives a punish- punishing blow by delivering them their tapes. So they absolutely know. And they agree to stay together. Do we buy it? Is this is this happy? Is this good for them? I mean, I buy it because yeah. Um, a, I think that we've established that we don't think the procedure works one hundred percent. B, I think that um, it reminds me kind of that moment in Rival when she asked, like, if you knew what your life would be exactly how it turned out, would you do anything differently? And his mm-hmm. reaction is, I, I guess I'd say what I was thinking more often. You know, like I. I, I think that even if you know that things can go terribly wrong, if if things right now feel great, like, we're also all endlessly optimistic. Humans have to be in order to get out of bed every day, you know? I buy it. I love it. I buy it, too. And I think that there are certain little little pieces that are that are given to us to make us believe it. Sure. And I think they're, they're subtle and sweet. Like, I like... Um, I like that at the end when they're listening to the tapes, uh, Clementine is the one to walk away. So it's it's sort of a role reversal from the house. So yeah. Clementine's the one who can't handle it. And she's like, I'm walking away. And it's Joel that t- asks her to wait. So she stretches herself by being like, I don't have to dive into every situation face first. Maybe maybe I need to like there maybe self-preservation is a good idea sometimes, which we haven't really seen from her before. Right. She's always ready to have the fight in the flea market. She's always ready to break into the house. She's impulsive. And maybe in that moment, she's like, I'm actually going to honor myself by choosing not to put myself through this, you know? Yeah. And that is a type of growth. And then you have Joel, who's stretching himself by saying, I'm not afraid. I know, I know that I know, you know, I know that this is a weird situation, but I really want you to stay. And and being able to put that out there in that way. He's not mumbling it. He says it clearly in a voice that is made for human ears to hear. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. Um and then she I love that she delivers her uh anti manic pixie dream girl speech again, but it's slightly altered. Yeah. Which is I'm not a concept Joel. I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. I am not perfect. So, like, I feel like there's sort of a moment where she is vulnerable. That's her sign of vulnerability. Yeah. I am not perfect. Yeah, it's more and, vulnerable than that initial speech she gave. That speech she had, like, yeah. almost practiced, you know? Yeah, exactly. And um, and then you have him, his vo- verbally accepting that it might not work and that it might hurt, but it's all worth the risks because he doesn't think she's going to save him. He knows all her flaws. 
He just wants to be with her as long as it's as long as it makes sense for them to be together. And that's it. That's fine. Yeah. Um, so I think ultimately vulnerability achieved. Entering a partner a relationship as partner achieved. Equality achieved. All good stuff. All solid things. So I do buy it. I think it's like it's like hard won yeah. and earned. We're not just given a happy ending because we think we because we want it. We're given it because we've earned it, which is good. I agree. I agree. I you know <clears throat> I find this movie to be very satisfying and mm-hmm. hits my romantic uh you know my little itch I have and yeah I love it I'm glad it exists yeah so do you recommend it obviously uh I you know so. I, uh, having said all that never <laughs> don't bother <laughs> yeah I definitely would um I like that at the end like no one's really the hero uh but there was enough joy enough connection enough attraction enough romance enough companionship to outweigh the bad and uh, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, uh, my views on relationships are I am an optimistic realist. Uh, I I don't think that there are soulmates. I think some people are more compatible than others. And I think at the end of the day, relationships are a choice. So seeing people, seeing it be romantic to make that choice, that's what I want. I want, I want there to be the romance of the choice, not the romance of the destiny. And I, yeah, I love it. Highly recommend. That's beautiful. <laughs> That's very that's very beautiful. I agree entirely. I also think that it um I like that it's a romantic comedy told from a male perspective um about emotions because I feel like we don't have many of those. That's a rare bird. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also one of those that doesn't that isn't um that it values women. It it firmly states that women have value even if they hurt you. And you don't really see a lot of movies where it's told from a man's perspective. It's about emotion and you don't it doesn't force like the kind of a woman who is is a a chaotic figure to be like forcibly humbled in some way. She doesn't get punished at the end of the movie. No, And that happens a lot in the history of cinema, storytelling, books, novels. It's nice that she doesn't get punished. No. In fact, she gets a happy ending. That's great. Yeah, it's lovely. Um. And then this is entirely like a side note. Sure. But um but I'm watching this when it's when it's cold. And we're have we're in the inevitable mar- like this kind of like cold trudge to spring. Mm-hmm. Um and I love that this movie is a movie about love that takes place in winter. I like how moody it is. You have this yes. like blindingly low winter sun. And I felt like it was sort of like that dark street any- light when he's crying at the yeah. beginning that feels so wintry and bleak. You know. And everyone's all protective and they're all wearing like huge, like there's a lot of like wild winter wear. There's lots of like giant coats and big hats and giant, you know, like big puffy boots. And everyone's like sort of armored up while they're being very vulnerable, which I think is very like satisfying to watch. Yeah. And I, I kind of feel like any old fool can fall in love in springtime. That's super easy, right? It's beautiful Agreed. outside. When everybody, everybody's takes- looking like... Trim, fit, and tan, and, like, you're seeing, you know, you're seeing people's actual bodies, but, like, yeah, it takes a special kind of, special kind of person to fall in love with those bulky, oversized, bright orange coats, you know? It takes a lot of work to be vulnerable when you're both wearing Ugg boots, is what I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It takes a lot of work. Indeed. Ah. All right. Next time, we hope you'll join us. We'll be taking on the Netflix uh, limited series Maniac, 
when we will have guest star, special guest, Megan Whitney, uh, who is a psychiatrist uh, finishing her last year of residency at UT Southwestern and also is my sister. So, yeah, family. Um, <laughs> we're very excited to have Megan with us for talking about um, uh, sci-fi and also like kind of very medically and psychiatry based a uh, little limited series. So, yeah, lovely. It'll be great. Thank you for listening to Space Bras. Head over to Apple Podcast or the platform of your choice to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. Be sure to visit outrageousmechanisms.com slash space dash bras. That's S-P-A-C-E dash B-R-A-S. Also, feel free to check out our social media. We've got a happening presence on Twitter and Instagram at space underscore bras. Uh, always have some really cool gifts that I super enjoy making. So uh, come check it out and feel free to slide into our DMs. Ask us any questions uh, or do that in your review. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or don't even slide to the DMs. Just comment. No, yeah. Out for oh, the... Obviously. Uh, c- comment. Loud and proud. We're all, yeah. we're all friends we're here. We're all friends. Come on. We're all friends here. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and now join us as we raise our glasses and give the official toast of Space Bras. In these troubled times, we must remember that even though everyone else might suck, we are awesome and the galaxy is ours. Cheers. Cheers. Outrageous.